Good afternoon. How are you today on this uh, beautiful Monday <laughs> afternoon at 12.30? And we're ready to I'm go. Really, um, I'm really Bank good. Holiday yeah. Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, Don't know what one of them is. Well, Bank Holiday Monday. Uh, what Bank Holiday Monday? But it yeah. always reminds me about the fact that, you know, the only people that profit out of people buying houses is the bank. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody out there, if you disagree with me, think about this reality. Because when you think about when your house goes up in value and it appreciates all the time because you live in it, when you go to buy the next house, it's proportionally the same value. So you're not really making anything out of it, are you? But you're continually paying a mortgage every single month to a bank who's actually making the money. Yeah. So is it knowing the bank's interest to get you to buy a house so they can sell you a mortgage? The alternative yeah. is rent. And I, could, <laughs> and I could genuinely, I could prove that renting is a more cost-effective solution to actually buying a property. But but people just were indoctrinated into this mentality that um, we've got to buy a house. We've got to live in our own wee castle in our own place and yeah. we've got to have ownership. Um but years ago in the 1950s, uh, you know, 60% of the stock was actually rented. Um, it was local authority. It was the council housing. It was social housing. It was private landlords. It mainly had all the housing in, 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 the, whole of the, in the whole of Britain. Uh, much yeah. like Europe, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just going to say that. It's it is quite ingrained in people to own their own home. But more and more, I see people turning to choose to rent rather than as an option. Like, they have to do that because they can't buy. They're choosing to rent. Um, and we spoke about that before. It's quite a continental thing, but it's progressively becoming more common in, in this country. Urban myths. Uh, and, and that's the urban myth I spoke about as well. The other one I wanted to add from last week was forced appreciation. If you hear this going round about now, because it seems to be coming up in the UK now about forced appreciation. Now, this is an American thing. Forced <laughs> appreciation in this country does not really exist. The nearest you'll get to it is probably HMO. Because as the value of the HMO rent goes up, uh, the value of the HMO itself goes up, the house and multiple occupation. Um, and that you could see that in St Andrews, uh, yeah. probably a classic example, because if you take a house that's not got an HMO licence and, and compare it against a house that has got an HMO licence, uh, they're actually two comparably different values, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can see that. Um, so forced appreciation is where the rents go up and as a result, the, the yield... Um, with the rent going up, actually, when you put the yield and divide it by the rent level, it actually pushes the price of the value of the house up because it, to an investor, forced appreciation is, is the fact that it's, it's an HMO property. It has that license for it, and it can get that value of return on that property, and that's what determines it. Commercial property used to be like that, but because of the fallen commercial values, and, you know, it's been such a volatile market because of internet now and everybody shopping yeah. online. Uh, commercial units aren't really looked at that to a certain degree. It, it still it is a wee bit, but not, it is another way of getting forced appreciation, I, I suppose. Um, the reality is because if you're getting £20,000 um, a year for a rent on a property, it's £100,000. Um, that's not really the true value of the property to an investor, £100,000. That's a giveaway because that's a 20% yeah. return. Um, if you take that right down to 5%, that, that then if you compare it at a 5% return, the value of that property, I think, is probably around, what is it, maybe around about 500,000? I can't remember. 500,000, 400,000, whatever. That should be the true value to get that 5% return. Um, but on normal residential properties like what we do, Richard, you know, yeah. buy flat stuff, um, forced appreciation isn't really a, 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 a term and um, what people are doing and they're trying to term it as forced appreciation, getting mixed up with American version, 
um, they're trying to term it as forced appreciation, but what it's what it really is is all you're really doing is adding additional value that you can lock yeah. into the property for when you refurb it and then remortgage it. That's not forced appreciation. Yeah, yeah, we had a discussion about this, Jim, in our private session on Thursday with our investors and things. Um, yeah. And it's actually it's kind of worked in my notes for what we're going to talk about today as well. So. I, I just thought it was important to cover it because when, yeah. we, when we covered it in the private session, and, and, and it's the very fact that it's becoming more and more prevalent in the in the property training business. Yeah, I think, just, I think they just I think they just look up new words uh, and they think to themselves, "What could we indulge? Well, what could we call it differently in yeah. order to in order to make up um, like smoke and mirrors?" Um, it's some other thing that we can sell a course to somebody. Um, I, I kind of think it's like that. I mean, I'm no down on courses. I mean, you know, there's some really good property trainers out there that do a, really do add value to what you do. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm loathed about the ones that come on are just in the door six months. And, and it's almost like that, like they know everything. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. Probably a classic example is I've made a profit. Uh, no, you've no. You've actually just increased the value of the property by 60 grand, but you've made nothing. Yeah. Because you've no sold it. Okay, uh, in the news this week, we're going to talk about the news because you, I, yes. hey, you've done a really good script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, as you know, Jim, I sat, um, I sat on the panel for the landlords forum with Fife Council, which is a selection of agents and uh, self-managed landlords and things who all come together and uh, speak to Fife Council, and we, we kind of bounce ideas off each other and what's going on. And one of the main topics which I brought up was empty homes in Fife. Um, and there's currently, I knew there was around about 2,000, I think somebody in that confirmed there's 2,200 empty homes in Fife. And then I had a wee look online and looked at the um, Scottish Empty Homes Partnership. They've put out a document, um, Why Empty Homes Matter. Um, and some interesting facts as well. There's uh, long-term empty homes in Scotland are 43,766. Wow. And, um, there's 27,854 empty homes that have been sitting longer than a year, which I think is crazy when we've, we're in a predicament here where we've got a shortage in housing and homelessness is so high at the moment. And I think we've got all these empty houses. So that's trying that's to... Basically one year's, that's one year's of housing um, for the government for to hit their targets, 25,000 yeah. uh, units. Um, so we've got 27,854. No wonder there's a push to try and get these properties back into use. So, yeah. you know, for anybody out there, if you do have a property which is empty just now and unoccupied and you've had it long-term empty, then feel free to contact us because we'll yeah, show you new ways in order to get that back into use, potentially get that making money or potentially get that to a position where you can sell it and actually realise that money and go and do something elsewhere. You know, enjoy yeah. yourself. There's no point in sitting because it... Because it's not really adding value if you're just neglecting it. It's yeah. it's it's probably just staying stable and it's getting progressively worse. Plus the fact that you're paying for utilities, you're paying for council tax because you'll pay that regardless of it being empty. Um, and then after two years, you'll pay for it even more. Um, or is it after one year now? Uh, you're paying 200% council tax. It's one year. So look at that as well. I mean, you've I got the after one year, you have 200% council tax. So that property is probably now costing you money every single month. Why not just realise the asset, actually make the money, go and do something else with it, um, and actually get it back get get it back into use for someone else. Yeah. As I say, there's a whole generation of people for one year which um, in Scotland which could benefit from 27,000 homes being back into use and uh, for 
for people to use. Um, it certainly helped the market as, as with the uh, undersupply just now, wouldn't it? It definitely would. And I think if you're an investor in things as well, um, there's an empty homes list which you could go on the look. Now, I'm not entirely sure how that all works, but there is yep. obviously ways and means of accessing um, the, um, the empty homes list. Obviously, opens up that avenue for the properties that are there ready to be renovated uh, yep. and probably put back into use as a buy to let. Um, and I think renovating existing home obviously improves the housing shortage. Um, and it's definitely an avenue I think that should be um, explored by everyone who's looking to do property investment and, and renovation and things. And I was, I was reading the, in this document why empty homes matter. They're, they're quite, um, obviously everything's kind of geared towards obviously carbon footprint and things as well. And actually fitting out a, a, an existing property rather than building a new one is actually more uh, energy efficient and it's obviously yeah. less uh, effect on the environment and carbon footprint and things. So the the government and things are quite um, they're quite pro to doing this. So I think it needs to be pushed a lot more. Uh, KPIs, key performance indicators. Yeah. These are the key information that you need to keep a track of every single time in terms of your property investments. Um, if you're just starting out, this show's for you. If you're a long-term investor and you're a seasoned uh, um, investor, this show's for you as well. Um, yeah. You have a golden opportunity right now at this point in time to ask us any questions to do with property investment, how you get started, what do you do, where, how do you go about it, possibly even I'm, I'm a seasoned investor, I've got a big portfolio, um, I'm alone to values maybe 20%, should I be utilising some of that wealth uh, and actually releasing it and then buying more property as well in order to leverage my position and actually make even more money, but more money for you and your family and the people around about you and create even more jobs, more than likely, because you'll be buying more property, getting more refurbs, and actually providing more housing, which is, is, is really sought after at this point in time for people that can't, they, they can't buy. Okay, let's get that right. Now, there's a lot of people out there. There's um, Well, there's a few people out there that will say, that's no fair. What about the people that are trying to buy their first home? Uh, what about the people that can't buy their first home at all and has yeah. no opportunity to do that because of their credit um, their credit rating or possibly they don't have a job at all and the social uh, system can't accommodate for them um, because of their circumstances, because they have basically sold off all their council housing. There's been yeah. a reduction of, in council housing stock since the 1980s of 69%. Almost 70% of the, uh, the housing stock has actually declined with the sell-off of council housing. So there is a huge for people, um, uh, for homes that need to rent, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and we, we push that issue on a lot of our shows, Jim, because it's such an important topic, um, the shortage of uh, housing and the need for more housing to be built but i think obviously looking at another avenue the empty houses are uh, definitely there to be regenerated and put back into use and i think that's quite important yeah yeah what about this about short-term uh, short-term let licensing scheme? i just I thought I, I thought i would put it in there obviously the the short-term lets uh, licensing scheme um has been there's changes to that and being rolled out um no it's quite similar to and obviously i just want to stress that this is not to like typical residential letting like we do a private residential tenancy this is more yeah. geared to people that do obviously holiday lets and things but i thought it's quite interesting that you need to be aware of this uh that they are making changes Um it's similar to the hmo licensing process Um there'll be different levels of uh the costing structure and things for that depending on the criteria and the property and things wow. as well um there won't be any initial inspections like they do with HMO licensing um, for this though. 
So I, and there is guides and paperwork and things on the gov.scot website, which I downloaded how to be look through. So, if so this, is, this is primarily for the for the service accommodation market. Yes, yeah. But I thought it's quite interesting, and there's changes to that, so people need to be aware. I, I know that's quite there's quite a lot of obviously um, short term lets and things uh, in Fife, especially along the Snook and, and areas. So people need to be aware of the changes right across Scotland. Really, I mean, you know, yeah. everybody seems to be plowing in the service accommodation, uh, you know, or every man their dog. I can hear everybody's mm -hmm. become a property sourcer all of a sudden. Everybody's you know wanting to service accommodation. Everybody wants to flip and refurb properties. You know, it's 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 like every man their dogs in this market now, and and it's not the case. There is yeah. only two million landlords in the whole of Britain. Um, overall, there's sixty-six million people in Britain, so it's not really that much in comparison in terms of the. Uh, and there's there's not that much housing stock as well. Um, but the key indicator here from housing market predictions, what I could possibly see, the things that could influence us, um, and the way the rental market's going and the housing market's going, is mm -hmm. possible in the inflationary aspect that's coming on the now. Um, so what we're seeing now, and we spoke about progressively before, um, is we are seeing that people actually deciding to move in together. Yeah, and we talked yeah. about that um, last week as well. And what that's you in the, the sales market, it's in the rental market, um, and and potentially as well, um, you might see people cutting back on their holidays. So instead of maybe two or three holidays a year, um, I'd love to just get one holiday, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe cases of two or three holidays a year, they might just decide to have one holiday, which could affect the serviced accommodation market, which, you know, there is a lot of properties going into that that market just now. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what proportion that is in comparison now as to what it was 10 years ago, because I think it'll be significantly more. Um, but the key here is, though, if that happens and service accommodation market isn't used that much, then these people that have invested in these properties might then say, "I tell you what, we're going to have to look at the um, we're going to have to look at mainstream residential rent market." Yeah. Now, for some of them, you've maybe leveraged or selling a position that you can only make a return out of that property with actually doing holiday lets, um, and you can't go into the mainstream residential market because it's maybe comparatively too little money for you. Um, yeah. That's what you've got to think about. So be careful to a degree, I would say. Uh, make sure in the service accommodation market you've got your numbers right and possibly you could, you could, you know, flip over to the mainstream residential market if you really had to. That, for me, would be a perfect option in creating yeah. wealth for yourself because then you're not forced to exit the market. Um, due to circumstances out of your control, um, you, you can accommodate for it and actually just transition over. I have a, I have one situation like that happening at the moment. It's a, a short term let that um, one of uh, somebody that obviously that I've been speaking with. Now they have a very successful uh, holiday let, but due to their personal circumstances, their, their family's grown. It's just there's a lot of turnaround. There's a lot of work goes into it. Um, so he's he's uh, decided to make the property a long term residential instead of a holiday let. I still don't get it, the service accommodation market. To me, it just sounds like another job. There's a lot of work uh, in it. It genuinely does. It's like these changeovers. It's like somebody's there for three days, they're there for a long weekend, and then you've got to have somebody come in and change over, or you do it yourself, and then, you you know, you're, you so you're replacing changeover, replacing changeover yeah. every every time. Now, when you think about 52 weeks in the year, if, if just 52 weeks in the year were filled and you had them, ideally, you'd be able to afford to pay somebody to do it. But if you mm -hmm. kept doing that yourself, it's like, geez, that's a, that is a full-time job. That is a full-time job. You're completely tied to that. Whereas what we do 
or what I do is like, you know, I get somebody else to manage the whole thing you know, and yeah. look after it. And I get no involvement at all. I just decide which property to buy. And then after that, the machine takes over and does everything from there. Um, mm -hmm. And literally, it's a hands-off passive investor now. Um, so yeah. it's never based on my ability to perform. It's actually, the money comes in regardless. And that's what I love about what we do and, and what we teach as well. Um, and we don't, I'll be honest with you guys out there, we don't teach anything else because I know the keys to the money machine are in what I do over the yeah. last 30 years. It is a well-oiled machine. It works extremely well and it works on, uh, you know, basically all your ducks in a row and you know what to do next, what to do next, what to do next, what to do next. And I don't see anything. If you think you know anything better, it'll make more money over the medium to long term than property investment that I'm doing, uh, then tell me and I'll do that as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I totally I'm, you know, I've talked about that. I've talked about it for the last 30 years, and not one person's actually said that. Not one person's <laughs> come up and said, Oh, it's so and so. And it's like, because you, you can't, you can't yeah. tell me there's anything different. I think the prospect of what you can earn during peak seasons, especially in certain areas, um, I think that that attracts people, and that's where the, the drive. But I think when you're, when you're out of peak season and you've still got all this turnover and do you know what I mean it has a lot of work, especially? And if you've got one, two, maybe three or more um, short-term lets, then you've you've got a lot of work on your hands. And then, like you say, they'll probably employ somebody to do that, but that will come at a cost. And it's it's funny we, we talk about uh, the cost of obviously having your uh, portfolio for uh, long-term residentials let by obviously a management company like ourselves, uh, and we always refer to it as the price of a cup of coffee and a day. Um, I stopped at Starbucks the other day and a price of a cup of coffee is a lot more. <laughs> um, so you know what I mean? So it just goes to show. Yeah, crazy. Eh? Hi, Julie. How are you? Uh, Hi, any Julie. questions, please feel free to ask. Um, so housing market protections, uh, that's where we're just now. Service accommodation just feels yep. like a full-time job to me, uh, yep. as far as I'm aware. Um, I don't understand why anybody would want to do it unless you've got scale, unless yep. you can scale this up and have a huge amount of service accommodations. Um, and that do it's the same with it's the same with small buy to let as well. Unless you scale that up, it's almost like a, a job. It's another job. Mm -hmm. And and maybe people want to do that, keep them busy. But to be honest, you've got a hobby to keep you busy. Um, yeah. Don't treat property investment like a hobby, or you'll get a hobby income. If you treat it like a business, you will get a really good income out of this. Um, and I mean an income for possibly um, an income for month to month, depending on yeah. what you want to invest in, how you want to invest it. We'll talk about the KPIs the now and yeah. high yield. Um, high yield cash flow properties, um, but also for the for the long term retirement as well. You know the fact is, I don't know any pay you in the long term as much as that. I mean, I've I've looked at my pension already, and I've looked at what that can give you, and I'm kind of thinking, and I've looked at Elaine's pension where it was with Diageo and yeah. uh, and what she could get, and I'm like, I still don't get it. Um, but we're we're convinced and we're told time and time again that we should be investing our money heavily into pensions. But that's maybe just what the government wants. They just want stability. They just yeah. they just want you to be another brick in the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm depressing you now, Richard. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> just make me think of your things. Hurry <laughs> <laughs> up and get in the proper investment. You, you can buy yeah. my fund actually. <laughs> you can buy in the fund. Yeah, I think, like you're saying about building the portfolio, I mean, I know that we've done shows on, like, the accidental landlords, and you do get them, obviously, people inherit houses and maybe want to then live in it in later later years and maybe just let it out in the meantime, and, and that's all they intend to do, and that's fine. Yeah. But I think if people are in it to to make long-term income and build a portfolio, then, yeah, you need to do it on scale and uh, be prepared that as a long-term 
game. Yeah. And on that note, let's say, uh, let's um, look at some numbers. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So I'm going to share my screen. We were talking about KPIs, right? Yep. Um, and let me show you what KPIs are. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, th this is probably the easiest one to show. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah, that's clear. So my KPIs, let's talk about what I'm talking about here. Um, I've got notes down here just to refer. Uh, guys, if you've got a pen and paper, just take notes. Uh, feel free to do that. Um, so I'm going to go through this. Now, this is a this is the typical spreadsheet that I'll use for my, obviously my uh, um, investment return. Um, and I talk about the number of properties and the purchase properties, and we'll talk about that later on. Stamp duty, um, well, obviously, you've always got 4% ADS on a second home. If you buy six or more properties, though, um, you're on an average amount. Um, so let me talk about that. So an example of that is if you bought six properties, uh, um, 60,000 uh, each, so it came to 240,000, um, you would take um, 240,000. Um, can I do that on here? Right. Yeah, that's what we did the last time on here. And then you, yeah, you let's divide, do that. You divide so it six properties. If we bought six properties or more, so just say six, and they were all at 60,000, uh, they would be at 240,000. Uh, now, see that stamp duty, 14,400. But what the government now say is if you've got more than six properties, it's it's that divided by the, the number. So instead yeah. of paying that, instead of paying 14,400, you would actually pay uh, 2,400. Yeah, see that that makes sense. So yeah, that's because right. you're because you're buying on scale. Now you have to get them all over the line at the same time. So that is a, yeah. that, I mean, it's it's not as uh, a key performance indicator. It's, it's something to be aware of. Um, if you can buy six or more properties, mm -hmm. it's worth actually as well if you've got two and somebody else has got two and somebody else has got two and you're thinking about all buying. Uh, maybe actually all buy together in one company and actually uh, depending on if you can work together. Um, and I have one investment vehicle that does that, thus saving yourself uh, £12,000 £12, in stamp duty. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way to do that. I mean, even even if you've got six and they're all costing £100,000, um, there you go, 4000 versus twenty-four, you're saving yourself £20,000 in stamp duty. Yeah. Now, why did the government put that in place? Well, that was designed um, for uh, the um, um, big organisations. So the banks and that they wanted, they knew the banks uh, would want to be in proper investment. So they decided anybody that has volume uh, to buy more than one, at, uh, more than six at any point in time, then they'll actually get that averaging system put on. Otherwise, you're on four percent stamp duty regardless. Yeah. Okay. Go over yeah, you still pay. That's quite interesting and important to if you're if, uh, definitely if you're purchasing on scale or there's a few years that want to do that. I wasn't aware of this until you uh, brought it to yeah. my attention, Jim. So. Um, yeah, that's something that I think is quite important if you're going to be doing a uh, buy to let uh, purchases and, like I say, as a group or on your own and in, in, in uh, numbers. Yeah, okay. So, deposit. Why is the deposit so important? Well, the deposit will always be 25% if you're getting a mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, some lenders will maybe do up to 20% uh, deposit, but most of them will be 25 yeah. Um Now, the deposit here, is as as you as you tend to have a higher deposit, you'll you'll more than likely get a lower interest rate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the reason for that is purely about risk. 
Um, they see that as a less of a risk. Therefore, they wouldn't charge as much interest on it every month, on the loan every month, because they think that's less of a risk. So that's why that's why some people have got bad credit ratings, and other people that possibly have um, lower deposits um, pay a higher interest rate. Yeah. So if you've got a buy-to-let portfolio right now, this is a key indicator to you is to look at your loan-to-value. So this is what we call it. This is a loan-to-value. So your loan-to-value here is 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 seventy-five percent. Yeah. So loan-to-value is seventy-five percent. It's how much you've borrowed, okay, against the value of the property. So in this case, I've borrowed seventy-five percent. If I had forty down, my loan-to-value would be sixty percent. Yeah. Because the other side of that is sixty percent. I'd have mortgaged. Um, if I had 50 down, loan to value would be 50%. So as the loan to value drops, the interest rate tends to drop as well. Um, so if you're a landlord, a seasoned landlord, um, and you've been in the market for quite a while, and you've not actually looked at your portfolio for quite a while, and you've never remortgaged or you've never taken any money out of it, it's actually um, best to look at these loan to values now because your property might be worth a lot more than what it was when you bought it. So, classic example here is when I bought something at 100,000, 10 years passes, and it's maybe worth 200,000 now. So, that 25,000 is still in there, 75,000 is still the loan. But if it's worth 200,000 now, remember, 75,000 is still the loan. If it's worth 200,000 now, the 75 is actually is now, is now uh, uh, let me see if I can get that. It's around about 60. See that it's around about six, it's around about forty percent loan to value now. Yeah, you had that eighty thousand. So I mean, it is it's probably a bit a bit more than that, sixty-two. Yeah, okay. So it's thirty-eight percent loan to value. So when you first started out, you had a seventy-five percent loan to value. Now you've got a thirty-eight percent loan to value because in the years it's actually increased in price, but you've never actually increased the mortgage. Therefore, when you go to remortgage it, a bank will turn around and say, "I tell you what." We're happy. We're actually even happy to give you cash back and actually yeah. encourage you to take a bigger mortgage. Remember what I spoke about in the beginning? They're yeah. in the business of selling mortgages. They're not in the business of helping you. They just want to help you to sell a mortgage to you. Um, so you could actually release money and go and do something else with it. Remember, if you're releasing money from a buy-to-let mortgage, you have to reinvest it in buy-to-let yeah. property. You can't That's take it and go and buy yeah. it. You can't take it and go and buy a new car or that interest no tax deductible. Um um, okay, Un unless it's something for the business. You've got scale yeah. and the, it's a van for the business or something like that. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that's the point where you would obviously release and, and reinvest and not treat it as, as, as people keep referring to it as tax-free cash, but you do whatever you like with. Um, that's, that's obviously there to be reinvested. Okay, so so that's loan-to-value. That's that explained. So the higher loan-to-value, um, the more interest you'll pay. The lower loan-to-value, the less interest you should be paying. Um, so you'll get really good deals out there from banks and, and building sites that want to do a deal with you. Now, yeah. best ones are uh, Birmingham Midshires and uh, the Mortgage Works. Uh, Mortgage Works, I think, only go through intermediaries. Birmingham Midshires sometimes are direct, but I'm sure they're intermediaries as well. In other words, you have to have a mortgage broker to get, to get them. Um, so 25% mm -hmm. loan of value. Uh, mortgage interest rate, I spoke about that briefly, about the mortgage interest rate, but you obviously want that as, as best as possible. Now, this is where it comes into key indicators about capital and uh, capital repayment and interest only. Now, we've covered this before, but I'll briefly say um, I'm an interest only person all the time. Yeah. Now, why would I say that, interest only, when a lot of people are going, well, we're always taught to pay down our mortgage. Um, but when you're looking to invest, 
um, you want to invest as much of the money back in to actually growing the business and buying more high margin, high value properties than actually paying down a loan, which is effectively a lot less than what you'd make in a return. Mm -hmm. Classic example is if, if you can make a 15% net return on your investment, then why would you want to pay down a mortgage is at 3% with that same money? You would want to obviously take that yeah. same money you're making rather than paying down the mortgage, invest it in another property or invest it in more property, make 15% and actually just pay the interest every month, which is at 3%. So don't pay it down. That's why I'm a big fan of that. Plus the fact as well, you can run out of cash when you have a capital repayment mortgage to pay your tax. Now, an easy one. How can I do that? There's your rent every month, £500 a month. There's your mortgage every month, £500 a month. Okay? Now, cash flow-wise, 500 minus 500 is zero. So you're making no, no cash. Okay? And that's the rent, and that's the mortgage. But what happens here is the mortgage is actually maybe 250 interest, okay? And 250 capital. See that? Yeah. What the tax man says is you've got 500 in, okay, but you've only got 250 pound interest because I'm not giving you a deduction against your capital repayment because that's you paying down debt. We don't we don't do that. So your 250 is now taxable, even though you've got no cash in that scenario in a capital repayment. You've got 250 pound a month that you've got to pay tax on. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, uh, any any questions out there for anybody? I'll just check, make sure there's no questions. Uh, if you've got any questions, please feel free to ask, by the way. I'm more than yeah. happy to answer them. Um, if you're not sure about these workings, because remember, I've been at this for years and years and years. So it's pretty, it's it's no easy to go through all this and then think everybody else knows this. So you, know. you could be facing, you could be having no cash every, every, every year um, in that scenario, but you could end up having to pay a tax bill out of your own money. Um, because you're paying down debt with that money you would have paid the tax bill with. So be careful with that and work that out for yourself. That's a good key indicator to work out um, if you should do interest only or capital repayment in terms of your plans. Um, a lot of people actually look on the scenario, uh, they're wanting to pay off the debt, maybe, oh, I want to pay it off in the next 20 years. And that's all I want in the bank, you know, and, and you know, so to speak. But we know having money in the bank is not making you any money at all. Um, put it in your own business okay and then what to do is keep it there because you're not making any money in the bank anyway by paying off the mortgage so keep it there maybe make enough money to pay you know to, to set that off because you're paying three and a half percent make enough money to make three and a half percent it's all neutral but at least you've got it in your bank that's the most important thing and if come uh, retirement day 30 years later all that money's built up anyway then just pay off Pay it off. Yeah. It's worth more to you probably sitting with you than now than it is actually keeping paying it off. But some people have different strategies for the different things and what they want to do and how they want to do it. Okay, um, next indicator. Uh, arrangement fee, that's pretty obvious. Um, I tell you what, though, arrangement fees on mortgages um, can vary. Um, they're generally 0%, uh, zero, uh, 0, as in you're not getting charged any arrangement fee. I, yeah. I had a right, I'll tell you what, I'll take this off now and I'll, I'll say... I had a big uh, back and forward with somebody on the Scottish Landlords Network. 
mm-hmm. and they were talking about um, should I, uh, you know, who's got a mortgage broker that would do it for free or can I go to somebody for free to do it? And we're all going, get a mortgage broker, get a mortgage broker, get a mortgage broker. They're worth their weight in gold. She goes, I'm not paying £2,000 for a mortgage broker. And I went, God, what, what mortgage broker you got? I was just going to say, <laughs> you should well, pay £2,000. Well, you're using Harrods. <laughs> like, but it transpired. She didn't understand the difference between a mortgage broker and an arrangement fee. Because right. it says, I think you're getting confused because if you've got, uh, if you're getting a mortgage, um, uh, probably a classic example of that is, let's, let's see if I can, let's see if I can find it. Um, we'll just go in there and show people the arrangement fees for the mortgage works. Mortgage, mortgage works, yeah, Easiest one to use, to be honest. Um, again, you have to go through intermediates to get them, but um, it will give you an idea about where where we are in terms of products, uh, products, products. So I'll I'll show it in a minute. It, it takes a wee while to get to buy to let buy to let limited company um, select my client type. Uh, actually, um, maybe I should share this. Because they share and show how to go through. Yeah, that. Um, because um, a lot of people won't see that themselves, will they? So let's jump on and share that window. Uh, see that okay? Yep. So I'm on the mortgage work. So I've gone in there, accept and close, accept and close, fine. Um, and uh, what I've gone is the product. And I've gone on product finder. And I've, I've just gone on select by client type. I, I typically go for limited company, search by client type. It asks you then what type of mortgage you want. Um, uh, basically, I've, I've fixed tracker, one year, two year mortgage, uh, zero, zero. Just do everything, uh, and then you can work out for yourself what that is in terms of variable lifetime. I don't think you get lifetimes anymore. Um, no, so see how you see that one nine nine five, mm-hmm. and then you've got nine nine five. They're all seventy five percent loan to value, and they've got none. Yep. And then what happens is see that. See, I mean, let's be, look at this. I mean, this is so obvious. Look, nine nine five is an arrangement fee for three point four nine percent. None is an arrangement fee for three point four nine percent. Hello, yeah, I see that. <laughs> and I bet somebody's. I'll say, somebody have actually. I'll somebody's actually packed this, no realizing that they could save themselves a thousand pound because it's the same interest rate. And then you've got yeah. point point five point zero five extra for another two thousand pound difference. Now point zero five on a mortgage that's like sixty grand is nothing, and it's certainly no two thousand pound over the next two years. So in that scenario, you would never go for the arrangement fee of two grand. And you wouldn't go for the arrangement fee of 995. 995 either, no. You would just go straight for the zero. Um, yeah. So I think this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to force you into this to take the 3.49 fix for two years. So they're making that unattractive and making that so attractive that they're wanting to get you in there. This is because this is higher than it was the year before, um, the, the months before. But now I'm getting told by the Bank of Scotland corporate division uh, the interest rates are not going to be as high as they predicted for the year coming, um, for, the, for the year coming when they predicted them back in January. And everybody yeah. was saying interest rates were going to rise because of inflation. This is because of the, U- the Ukraine uh, situation. And, uh, and and so they don't want to upset anything, plus the fact that they don't think that the economy might grow as well. Therefore, they want to keep interest rates low as a result of that because they want to encourage people to keep spending and not put it in the bank. Hence the reason why you don't put interest rates up. Because then if, yeah. if people then spend it because they think, I'm not getting anything in the bank, may as well spend it. Uh, that's why they do that. So when they want you, when they want to take that demand out of the economy, and they want to talk, stop people spending so much um, and pushing inflation up, that's why they put interest rates up in order to encourage people to save instead um, for the future. Right. So that's why they do that. That's why they, that's in general terms. Uh, that's why they do that. So that shows you a classic example. And even look even there, 
3.49 for five years with no no fixed fee. No arrangement. And then below it's 1995. So what does that say about the bank? What does that say about what they're thinking over the next five years Mm -hmm. in terms of interest rates? If they're actually quite confident to say, I tell you what, we'll fix you for two years at that, but we'll even fix you for five years at that rate. Yeah. Um, so that's actually quite a revelation. Um, I've not seen that in a long time. So that tells me they're a, bit, they're a bit wary about the market in terms of where we are. So that's uh, hopefully that's a good indication about why, um, why you would look at that, why you look at that different scenario. So that's that. Let's jump back to our spreadsheet again, and we'll just go over that again. Uh, here we go. Okay, we're back to here. So we talked about arrangement fees. Um, rent is really important, Richard. Um, what you know? Why is it? Why is it important to get the maximum rent? I think it is important to get the the maximum rent that you could achieve for whatever property it is and whatever area and things. Because, I mean, the the effects of increasing rental prices recently. Obviously, we've we've spoke about this and we spoke about it in our private session as well. Yeah. Um, and the effects it has on your key performance indicators of your property and things like the yield and your occupancy rate and the type of tenant you're going to attract. And um, if you've got a property that's done to a higher specification and a good area with a slightly higher uh, rental value, you're going to attract a better calibre tenant and somebody that's going to look after the property, probably stay there a wee bit more long term, which then in turn increases your occupancy rate. And these are all KPIs as well that you need to keep in track of. Um, so yeah. as important yeah. to get your the correct rent for the correct area and the correct property um so and you need to speak to somebody who knows how to do that you can put the money back in yes. you've got the money there yeah so it's important uh not only to get the highest rent you should be achieving but the correct rent um, yeah so we'd see recently somebody was saying that they were getting two bedrooms like 695 quid for a two bedroom i had this conversation with someone and i just think i didn't think that's crazy. realistic i think that's crazy no. No. And it was in, in, in certain areas and things, and I think, God, these are, these are uh, in certain areas where maybe that's, it should be a wee bit more lower end, where people maybe don't have the affordability. There's a lot of, obviously, benefit tenants and things like that as well. And they're putting prices up at this level for these kinds of properties, and they're pricing people right out of the market. Um, yeah. And yeah. that, in turn, creates a, a, an issue with housing as well. My concern as well is actually if rent controls do come in, you've mortgaged yourself up to a position where you can't actually bring your rent down. Yeah. So yeah. this is why this is why your rent uh, your your rent is a KPI you would actually want to keep an eye on and make sure it actually fits in with your numbers. Uh, occupancy yeah. rate probably one of the most important things. Is, yeah. So what is occupancy rate? That is the period the property is available. Uh, okay, compared to the period uh, is actually let. So in mm-hmm. other words, your occupancy rate, for example, could be eleven months in the year. Um, so in other words, your your property was occupied 11 months of the year. Now that means it's around, well, it's 91.67% occupancy rate. If it was occupied for 10 months of the year, it would be 83.33%. Um, if it was occupied for 50, um, for six uh, months of the year, uh, guess what? It's going to be 50%. Um, but occupancy rate, I'll show you overall how this fits in in the KPIs and how important it is to you in terms of that. So occupancy rate is the number of days your property is available for rent versus the number of days it's actually filled for rent. Occupied, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, now, that doesn't take into account. If you're refurbing your property, really, nobody's going to be able to live in it. So that's no part of your occupancy rate. That's part of your loss because you're basically refurbing the property. But yeah. the idea is to keep the occupancy rate high is to actually get it turned around as quick as possible to get somebody in as quick as possible to make, mm-hmm. to, 
to, to generate income uh, to keep the property going. It's amazing how many people go, oh, generate income, make more money out of people. It's like, well, what do you think we're in business for? Um, you know, you have to generate a, a profit in order to uh, keep the company keep the company going, keep everyone taking over. Yeah, that is so important. And I think, obviously, I am, what we've uh, kind of adopted, obviously, with the, the recent refurbs that we're doing uh, for yourself, Jim, is obviously getting out there. And, and everybody else as well that's bringing on refurbs is putting it out there before it's ready and say, look, this is what's happening here. This is what's going to be uh, and lining people up before uh, it's actually finished. And then that obviously um, has a knock-on effect on uh, how good your occupancy rate is going to be because you get okay, some dead so air. Anyway. Let's look at this. We've got a purchase price of 80 grand. We've got a 4% ADS. We've got 25% deposit. We've got 3.5, which we saw yeah. that the night we're a limited yeah. company. If you're a sole trader, you get away with less than that. There is no arrangement fee on that. That's fixed for five years. But you've got five years of certainty. That's your interest rates for five years, which is a really great proposition. Now, uh, typically, what would we be, what would we be buying for eighty thousand pounds at this point in time, Richard? Uh, you're probably looking at about two bedroom flats, um, or possibly a two bedroom house in Glenrothes. And so, um, yeah. you might get away with that now. So, what rent level would we be looking at that? Uh, you're talking at least five five fifty for a two bed. Um, but flat wise, would you get? Would you be paying five fifty for a flat? Well, this is what we spoke about. We spoke 500. About yeah, 500. We spoke about yeah. that last week but, and the difference. But we are between... swinging around a bit, aren't we? But, I yeah. mean, you know, for a, for a, you got a house, you're 550. If you're a flat, you probably get 500. Um, but it's got to be a decent one. It can't be just any, any odd one. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, this is where I talk about the next KPI, which is the most important thing. Uh, cash flow per month after the mortgage is paid. Um, mm -hmm. That is the most important thing after the mortgage is paid. So in that scenario, um, I've got £175 a month coming in. I've got 500 pound rent coming in sorry i've got 175 pound going out um and in interest every month and now it's fixed for five years so it's certainty there um i've got so that's fixed for five years so definitely as long as the rent stays the same that is the same i'm going to clear every single month now see this is the cash flow um you need to want you want your cash flow as high as possible because this is where you can pay for overheads now here's a difference here when i talk about this one gross yield a lot of people, I've not heard it in a while, talking about gross yield, but I do still hear it now and again when people talk mm -hmm. about yields. Yeah. So the gross yield is the total investment uh, divided by, uh, or the purchase price, um, I'll, I'll change my tongue there, um, <laughs> is the total rent at the top I mean, line, okay, yeah. divided by the purchase price. Yeah. Okay. Now that that to me is as is, is uh I think it's out of date now. Mm -hmm. And primarily because you take stamp duty into account as well and you take legal fees because you're putting that in as well. You don't get a mortgage on legal fees, you don't get a mortgage on stamp duty, you don't get a mortgage um, possibly on refurb, but but that'll come later on. But minor refurbs it won't it won't at all. So I like to look at uh, it's it's uh, it's everything. So in other words, that true purchase price would be Eight to grand, it would be plus three two, and then it would be plus two thousand, which is a thousand for your legals, and maybe a thousand pound for a quick turnaround and, and, and a quick spruce up, a yeah. clean, a decorate, and compliance with your smoke detectors yeah. and your EICR. So you've got two thousand, you've got three two, you've got eighty five. So the reality is, and I will actually revise this spreadsheet after this, to be honest. Um, it will be, uh, it will be that um, the the gross yield now. So just let me do a quick example where the gross yield is in terms of that, because I do the other one. 
So we have um, 80,000 and we have 32 uh, um, plus uh, 3200 and plus the 2000. I should have just typed in 85200 to be honest. 85200, so 6000 divided by 85200 uh, equals 7%. Uh, so it's now, it's now 7% instead of 7.5. But look at what happens. Look at what happens when you the true measure, once you get the mortgage in place, is the gross yield with the mortgage. Now this is probably the most important one. This is how this is how you use the bank's money to leverage your position. So now I've taken after the mortgage is paid, I've taken the gross profit. Okay, yep. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I've divided that by the money I've actually got invested. Okay, now again, I'm going to revise that after it because it should be the twenty-five two hundred now, because yeah. it's a lot more than that, uh, and and these numbers will change. But it shows you how how you leverage your position. So that return on the money I've actually put in as my deposit, because remember, it's on the money you've got in. It's the it's the return on the money you have in, not the return on the full the full thing, including the banks, because the banks are relevant. So the return has actually gone from that gross yield to the twenty percent gross yield in this scenario. So you've leveraged yourself by an extra 12% just by using the bank's money. How is that possible? Well, yeah, it's because you've got the bank's money at 3.5%, but you're making 20% in that scenario. So you're clearing a lot more than the usual 7.5%, hence the reason why it's up at that level now. That makes sense? Yeah, I think that it might not make sense to everybody. So obviously, I, I mean... Touch base plus. Yeah, touch base. The important point is, if you don't get this, right, please get in touch with us. You can attend one of our master classes. It's not going to cost you anything. There is yeah. no upsell. <laughs> We're not going to lose any money. Just, just for the avoidance of doubt here, where people go, they're just trying to make money. Um, yeah, we are trying to make money because if you, if at some point in time in the future, you realise that this actually makes sense, these guys know what they're talking about, I'm going to use them to manage our property then yeah, absolutely. You're going to use somebody else to manage your property, so you may as well use us because we know what yeah. we're talking about. And I think that's the whole point of us demonstrating this to people publicly so they understand that we know what we're talking about. Um, so the overheads is another one. This is a, this is taking into account things like um, your uh, uh, management fees. So management fees are generally around about 15% because it's, uh, it'll go, oh, 15%, I can get it for 10. I bet it's 10 plus VAT, remember. So it's 12%, isn't it? So what I'm saying is the 15% actually includes the VAT. Because to a landlord, you can't recover the VAT. So it's 15%. That's yeah. it. 12% plus VAT is 15%. Um, so so watch out for that one when people say 10 and 12. It's like, oh, is that including or excluding the VAT? Um, so I just say 15%. The other 15% is put aside for anything that needs to be done to tenancy on an ongoing basis. Um, if you if, you, if, you, if in the year, year you don't spend that other uh, 15%, and you've maybe got insurance or something like that, then you're possibly at 20% overheads. But I like to keep it at 30. But it's another key indicator to, to recognise it. Monitor your overheads. That's the most important thing. And keep them round about that level, and you'll keep to that net profit. So in that scenario, the net profit um, is there just over £2,000. Um, now, if the rent's right all the time and it's occupied all the time, the interest rate's guaranteed for five years. So you're always going to get an 8.3% net return. But that doesn't take into account the appreciation in the property. Mm -hmm. And that 8.3% is actually taking into account all the figures there. So the ones above didn't, but this one does. So see the 25,200 in here? Yeah. Down at the bottom? 
Well, that's the 2000 plus the stamp duty plus the deposit. So all your money that's in there is divided by the net profit, giving you an 8.3% return. Capital appreciation is a natural uplift as a result of what you do. Um, if you had this one property, for example, and you'd invested this 25,000 pounds, because remember, let's be honest, it's 25 grand to do this. It's 20 grand to get the deposit, but it's 25 grand overall to actually get this. Um, so 25 grand, if you had invested 25 grand, you get an income out of there every single month if you really want to create yourself an income every month of divided by 12. So you get 175 quid, and that's taxable. So that has to be that has to be taxed. Depending on your own personal taxation, that's why I can't take into account what you're doing. So 175 quid every single month for 25,200 in, in that scenario, and if this all pans out exactly how it should be. Um, could you imagine, though, the most important thing is if you had actually five of them. Yeah. Right, 875 quid a month. Five of them, and you've only put 1,800, 118,000 in. So 118,000 in there, uh, admittedly, wait now, I'll, I'll qualify that again. I need to put 10 in there to get these numbers right. So you put 126 in, and you're getting 875 quid a month before tax. Mm -hmm. Every month. Uh, the other thing as well is you are not taking any capital appreciation appreciation in account. That's not taking in account any of that at all. So if you look at this and look at your capital appreciation, it's running about 4% every year. Mm -hmm. There you go. Over a 10-year period, your capital, the, the price of your property is actually increased by 160,000. So 160,000 over and above, you're getting an income. Now, I'm going to say yeah. this is literally a business that pays you to wait while yeah. it goes up in value. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Come on, challenge me. Tell me something <laughs> that you can get more than that out of, out there. Crypto doesn't do it. Yeah. Gold doesn't do it. Silver doesn't do it. None of that does it because they don't pay you to wait while the value goes up. I can guarantee you that. Nothing, there's not a system like that that does this. Um, so that's why mainstream property investment is a really good earner and a consistent basis earner. It's a Warren Buffett formula. It's, got, it's almost every single month, come hell or high water, this will generate money for you as a result. It's all about volume. It's all about scalability. It's all about growing it bigger. Um, and and that's why that's why property investment funds. If you're only going to do one, you'd probably be better investing in a property investment fund because in this scenario, if you're investing in a, a fund that's maybe got ten properties in, and you're investing, maybe you invest the initial capital versus the two four two zero, you're getting yeah. seventeen hundred and fifty quid a month out of it. Plus, you've got your two four uh, your two hundred forty thousand still secure, and plus. You're getting a 5% return on this, by the way, because that's what happens in property investment funds. And you're getting a split of the profits as well and the value yeah. of the property once it, once it matures later on. Um, and you'll probably not want it to mature because you'll probably want it to go up all the time. That's why property investment funds are really good. But this is the key here when I come back to saying the leverage posi the position. Um, so in this scenario, this is why you want to look at this. Uh, uh, I'll say a quick hello, actually. Uh, hi, Perry. How are you doing? Any questions? I'm sorry, Perry. Ask. Um, we're running out of time. This is why I'm going like a, a bar. Yeah, <laughs> noticed we're speeding up there. So we're we're in here. We've got that. So we've got the uh, the payback. This is important as well. So yeah, in payback scenario, and here we've got six point three percent. So your payback is basically um, your payback. Oh, I can do it on here. What am I doing? Uh, payback is that right? divided by 100 
right, multiply by, hopefully all this work, this will work out, uh, is it 12? Uh, 100 uh, is 0.1% and it's, uh, uh, oh, I'm getting mixed up here. Oh, it's the time, sorry. Here you go. Uh, 6.3 divided by 100 equals that. Multiply two equals, yeah. You're about four, 15 years. You're about 15, because it goes into about 15 times. So 100, if you take 100, that's it, and you divide it by 6.3%, yeah, it goes 15.87. Right. And, and the reason I say that is because if you're getting 6.3% every year, right, um, and you take the 100 and divide it by that. Oh, oh this is a square night. <laughs> divided by, you know, yourself, this is getting frustrating. Yeah. So, see, there you are, in numeric terms. Right? Yeah. Uh, we've got counting there, I've got numbers number it's all right that's because it's a percentage um yeah but if you divide that back down it comes into 15.8 see the start of there yeah so that'll take 15.8 so if you can leverage yourself up to a position i mean you had said you might get 550 so see how that changes that goes less because then you, you'd be down to about 14 or maybe 12 in terms of the payback for the number of years to get now that's to get your initial investment back that's 33,200 in that scenario um, so after 15 years, effectively, that paid you money every single month. Um, in an ideal world, nobody like, oh, you've got inflation, and you've got this, and you've got that. It's like, I'm not... There'll always be some factors. Though. I'm saying on a spreadsheet, right, in an ideal world, if this is all equal, okay, it would take you roughly about 15 years to pay this back. But the thing is, once that's paid you back, effectively in 15 years' time, you've got no money down anymore. Because you've got all that money back out in payments of income. Mm -hmm. So that, that money there is actually just money is in there. But in 15 years' time, if this goes up in value, then you've got possibly an opportunity to remortgage it and actually get money out to do um, to reinvest back in. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would say. And oh, we could talk about opportunity cost and everything as well. Opportunity cost, no got time for it. We'll cover it next week. Um, leverage, we've talked about that. Credit control rate. Credit control rate is the number of days your property is occupied times the rent, okay, yeah. that you should be getting paid, divided by the number, of the, the, the actual rent you're getting collected. So an example of that is if your property was 400, well, look, 550. So 550, I should be getting 660. I end up collecting 6,000, all right? Plus, uh, now, you know, it could be the fact that it's delayed. So don't worry. It's like, kick the tenant out. It's like, no. <laughs> you know, we've talked about this in previous shows. That is the last resort for anything. Yeah, so the, awesome. the, the credit control rate is 91%. If, any, if everybody can see that, hopefully, 91%. Yeah, you can see it, yeah. Yeah, so that's the amount collected versus the amount you could have collected with the tenancy being occupied. Okay, so see the occupancy rate. So if I take the occupancy rate at 10 uh, then see how that goes down. Because now I'm saying I got I got six thousand, but I was only due five thousand five hundred. So I, my, my, my credit control rate was one hundred nine percent. What that one is? I had one hundred twenty five percent one year. Um, <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> but yeah, the, these KPIs are so important, Jim. We sat and went through these as and obviously if you if you've got your own port, uh, portfolio and you're managing things yourself, it is very much a business, and these are the things you need to be thinking about. They're so important, your occupancy rate, your credit control rate and things. 
um, or get an agent to do it for you because they work all that out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I think I'm not wanting to cover opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is a actually fantastic thing. Um, um, you you would you would want to know about definitely. Um, we'll put it on the agenda for next week. Yeah, we'll cover it next week because opportunity cost is really important. Um, as an accountant, it's actually saying, okay, um, I've got an investment here. Um, if I keep that investment and I don't invest in this over here, um, what is the cost to me of actually keeping the existing uh, investment? Or what is yeah. the benefit to me of keeping the existing uh, um, investment? And that's how that's how cost accountants work at opportunity cost. Um, I'll tell you, an industry... It was invaluable. Um, I was almost, well, I, I basically renamed me the profit engineer because what I did was every single thing in industry and manufacturing that we actually did, I then used to look at it and say, okay, I could justify you getting a new piece of equipment for that because the payback in that would end up being, you know, within two years quite easily and it ran more efficiently. It saved you an absolute fortune. And that was that was the whole point of opportunity cost and opportunity savings. Yeah. That'd be a good topic to go over then. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk about that next week. Well, we're yep. going to talk about our one in Kelty, and we've not got a chance. We'll have to talk yep. about that next week as well. Um, so that's rolled on until next week. And that's us, guys. Um, yep. Have you got any questions later on? Uh, you got anything else to sum up in, Richard? No, I think, like you say, if anybody's got any questions, obviously on the rerun or whatever, message us direct. I think one of the advantages, I think, if you're watching and you're not part of a private group or an investor's group, that spreadsheet, Jim will update that and send that to me, and I'm going to send that on to our, the members of our group. Yeah, so I mean, it's just there's a lot of advantages of being part of that. It's a huge advantage. Oh my god! I mean, what about um, what about um, some of the team that we had in already? They just kind of believe the, yeah. the information that they're getting now and how they're moving on and how they're building the portfolios and uh, and uh, all they've done is use us for their services. That's yeah. it. Uh, and, success that, story. And, and effectively, what we've told them is thousands, uh, tens of thousands of pounds worth of information that people will charge them for as as personal consultancy. Yeah. Um, so it's a huge benefit to be in that mastermind group once a month just to yeah. keep you on track and keep you on, uh, ticking over um, i actually going to finish off with this one Richard this was a brilliant one I heard the other day if you're chained up at the bottom of the sea in a safe you're not going to call you're not going to call Paul Daniels to get you out are you? you're going to call Harry Houdini and I think that's the most yeah. important point if you want to learn about in property investment you wouldn't be calling the person that just started three or four years ago, maybe even the person that started maybe 10 years ago. You'd probably be looking for the person that's still active in that sector for the last 30 years yeah. and is still making an absolute fortune out of property investment. And that's it. And for this week, it's goodbye from him. And goodbye <laughs> from him. I see you. Go, <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> Bye.